This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 28, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Amazon Prime, Prime Day, plowing all those profits back into the company, the acquisition of Whole Foods, TV production and the resulting Emmy Awards, and of course, revolutionizing publishing. Is it time to call Amazon a monopoly? Cato Senior Fellow Walter Olson considers the question. There have been a lot of uh, think pieces, I guess you would call them, about uh, Amazon and its growth, especially in light of its recent acquisition of, of Whole Foods, that Amazon constitutes a monopoly. So as a matter of economics and law, and I, I understand that these are two different things when we're tra- talking about what a monopoly is, what constitutes a monopoly? I don't think anyone has a really good definition and uh, especially not in an area like this in which the uh, technological state of the market, the transformation brought by new technologies, uh, both of communication and of delivery, uh, have uh, so transformed the markets that Amazon operates in. Uh, A few years ago, It was clear that some commerce was moving online. Uh, It was not so clear that uh, there would be powerful network benefits as Amazon discovered, especially when it launched uh, Amazon Prime uh, and other uh, loyalty programs uh, based on uh, benefits like free shipping. Uh, Competitors like Walmart.com are still important, uh, but this is a a relatively new situation. Uh, Not that Amazon has not been growing, not that it has not been uh, sinking its revenues into uh, improving its uh, network rather than paying large dividends and that sort of thing. But the success of a few of the stratagems uh, has gotten everyone's attention and has suggested that uh, for a while at least, and, and one of the big questions is whether this is a stable monopoly or network effect or whether it's just going to be replaced by someone else's innovation five years from now. But at the moment, uh, Amazon has pulled to itself uh, a higher share of web commerce than people were expecting and with the acquisition of Whole Foods, which is widely seen as being uh, a camel's nose in the tent, uh, not to sell the nation a whole lot of specialized and highly costly uh, uh, luxury goods of the sort associated with Whole Foods, but rather that this will be the way in which they learn grocery retail and that uh, they will, uh, within five or ten years, figure out a way to serve the mass market, uh, even if they start out with Whole Foods' um, uh, prestige market. Okay, so it's my understanding that when you're talking about antitrust, the first step of deciding whether or not a merger ought to go through is to define the relevant market. Well, with mergers, you're talking about two different possibilities. One of them is so-called horizontal mergers in which uh, Amazon will be picking up some other e-commerce competitor, someone who's trying to do the same thing as Amazon. And uh, the other is so-called vertical mergers. Uh, And it's been noted that most of the huge technology successes Uh, Google, Facebook, whatever, have not proceeded by horizontal mergers. Facebook did not buy up a a bunch of uh, would-be Facebooks. Uh, Instead, they grow by um, acquiring companies that allow them to provide a different kind of service. Uh, Facebook, for example, bought Instagram uh, and Instagram suddenly became much more important among several different competitive um, 
snapshot or, or, or picture-based social media things. Um, uh, Instagram did what it did better than uh, Facebook's own uh, you know, efforts in that area. And likewise, it's not that Whole Foods and Amazon would be seen as major competitors to each other on a horizontal market analysis. It's much more like vertical. It's much more like uh, Amazon took an area where it was something of a niche player and people buy a few gourmet foods off uh, Amazon, but it's uh, – they they have a lot of other ways of buying them. But instead, uh, getting a whole new distribution channel, uh, which would allow it to uh, serve people in completely new combinations of ways – when I was in a high-end grocery store recently, I discovered this is probably old hat in California, but it was new hat to me in the Washington suburbs, uh, that a lot of prime real estate at the front of the store was devoted to lockers uh, for a system in which you order online. They uh, gather the pro- products and put them in bags and uh, leave them in a chilled locker for you to pick up. Now, this is a new way of ordering groceries compared with either the all online in which they deliver them to you uh, or the not online at all in which you have to fill your basket by yourself and yet was popular enough in this rather affluent Maryland neighborhood that they uh, seem to be doing a lot of business or planning for a lot of business on it. And Amazon buying Whole Foods is, is widely expected to lead to some innovative new methods of uh, distribution that we don't quite know uh, yet, or, uh, not just because we are outsiders at Amazon, but because Amazon will itself discover new ways, new and better ways of doing things. I hate to break it to you, but uh, this is old hat in rural America <laughs> as well. Uh, the idea of driving up and picking up your groceries is something that uh, has been is steadily creeping up on us uh, all over the country. Okay. So, with respect to uh, trying to the effort, which I think will will be an effort to break up Amazon, where would you even begin? Well, you know, libertarians have a long tradition of thinking about antitrust and uh, I'm answering your question in a roundabout way. But I do think it's important for us to point out that uh, to the extent that antitrust um, lost its head of steam sometime around the 60s and 70s, libertarian and classical liberal – uh, scholars were very important in that happening. Um, uh, some of them attacking the, uh, uh, the very basis of, you know, is this consistent with with uh, individual rights in an economy? But uh, many of them pursuing uh, economic analysis, consequentialist economic analysis of uh, is this actually good for consumers and, and finding that uh, it uh, mostly isn't good for consumers to have strong uh, enforcement of antitrust laws. Uh, and with uh, libertarian analysis, one of the insights that you always come back to is that most successful monopolies that endure, right, that are not just uh, a temporary domination of a market, have some sort of bottleneck that the government has itself created. Uh, where you lack that, the pressures of competition coming in, whether from abroad or from uh, you know, the high, uh, successful idea or highly capitalized competitor uh, will tend to challenge someone's dominance. But when there is either a patent on the one hand uh, or a uh, access to uh, utility permissions as with uh, the old AT&T, uh, cable, um, uh, the uh, uh, electric and, and water utilities and the like, then you can have a durable uh, uh, 
sort of monopoly domination, even things like gates at airports turn out to be more important than you would think in the concentration of the airline industry because sometimes uh, uh, a competitive uh, move to establish a new air carrier uh, is made very difficult because of the unavailability of uh, gates at certain key airports. So with Amazon, a very interesting piece was out in the Wall Street Journal recently, um, and I don't have the technical knowledge to evaluate this, but it was about the Amazon's method of delivery for the last mile to the um, uh, the consumer, which is uh, something like two-thirds of the deliveries are dropped off uh, under a U.S. Postal Service program for high-volume shippers in which they um, draw, uh, coordinate with the post office, drop it off uh, close to the person's house. The post office handles the last mile. Now, officially, uh, under federal law, the post office is supposed to recover all of its costs from uh, package shippers. Uh, they don't want uh, first-class senders and first-class mail receivers to be subsidizing that. And yet, as the article pointed out, uh, <laughs> allocating fixed costs over a system is, let's put it in art. It is certainly not a science. It is something that uh, the uh, you know assumptions and the formulas used to allocate the enormous fixed costs of all the salaries and all the real estate in the Postal Service. Uh, if you... Uh, are using a formula and the argument was you know, looked kind of plausible that they were over-allocating to first class and under-allocating to uh, package shippers. Uh, it all amounted, if you at least if you accepted this logic, to uh, an enormous subsidy to the highest volume package shippers uh, to American households, which um, means very disproportionately to Amazon because when Amazon is competing against one of your other online sources, they will often not be a big enough mass shipper to take advantage of that particular program. So if that is true, then you might have a government subsidy combined with a bottleneck uh, that has accelerated Amazon's domination. Um, It would at least be one thing to look at if you're looking at non-antitrust ways of Uh, making sure that Amazon is uh, open to full competition from people who would like to do the same thing. And in a worst case scenario, uh, given whatever subsidy the Postal Service may be providing to high volume shippers, you could build a business model around that subsidy. You might very well be able to do so. And uh, reforming the post office, of course, is something that libertarians, again, have been at for decades, uh, often a lonely job. Uh, challenging questions like the uh, uh, idea that rates must be geographically flat even if it means that uh, there is an implicit subsidy of of living in extremely remote places that perhaps should not have been uh, populated in some economic sense. But uh, one of the things that uh, libertarians have always recognized is that the post office, um, like antitrust law, is covertly used to uh, subsidize uh, and, and tax Uh, influential industries. And uh, for a long time, publishing, which of course is now squawking about electronic uh, competition, but publishing was itself uh, one of the beneficiaries of uh, post office subsidies and had a reason to keep the government happy uh, over long periods, uh, lest that be yanked away by some hostile administration. This brings us to 
one of the other problems with antitrust, one of the longstanding, enduring problems with antitrust, which is favoritism, and the way in which government uses it not to enforce some sort of objective rules about how competition is to be done, but rather to identify friendly and hostile businesses, businesses that have supported and businesses that have not supported campaigns, and to reward the one and, and punish the other. And you see this uh, recently, of course, with uh, President Trump having now twice uh, brought up the possibility of a connection between uh, hostile news coverage and antitrust actions, uh, first during the campaign uh, in which the hostile criticism of the Washington Post after it was bought by uh, Jeff Bezos, um, uh, even though not actually owned by Amazon, it's close enough that uh, Trump uh, repeatedly said, uh, Bezos is using the post to attack me because he's worried about uh, antitrust scrutiny of uh, Amazon. And you can read that either as a um, sincere uh, diagnosis of why he thought that the Washington Post, a newspaper that has been liberal for so long that you know, to me it would have obviously have been critical of him before or after the Bezos purchase. Or you can read it as a veiled threat. Um, you know, look, I can mess with you if you mess with me. Um, the veiled threat theory became a little more uh, even more credible uh, recently when it was reported in a couple of uh, different news outlets that uh, after CNN had been giving Trump a lot of grief, he talked about um, uh, or he, he, White House st- staffers talked about whether or not the pending merger between Time Warner and AT&T, which is a pressure point for uh, CNN because it's part of the Time Warner enterprise, uh, whether it might be held up or denied uh, unless they, in, in one account, unless they actually fired the, the head of CNN. Um, this is not peculiarly American. One might wish that it never took place anywhere, but in uh, uh, it, it is a feature of systems with antitrust and a feature of systems with extensive government regulation of the business sector that this is exactly the kind of chit that the uh, uh, authorities love to call. They, they love to remind news organizations that things like antitrust can be held over them. What are the political implications over the next few years? I've seen uh, break up Amazon as a hashtag on uh, Twitter, and I've seen some other, uh, you know, more scholars saying, ba- arguing basically, this is a monopoly and that the federal government needs to do something. Because the the focus of uh, companies like Amazon is almost purely on the consumer. That same is true of Walmart and the concerns about producers and competitors of outsized producers like uh, Walmart or uh, Amazon when it comes to retail uh, are not being taken into consideration. The pressure is certainly not coming mostly from consumers because consumers in tend to be thrilled at Amazon's policy of um, deliberately um, uh, you know, not charging as much as uh, it, its costs might seem to be so that it can keep expanding and, and building the network. Uh, the complaining is instead coming from a combination of competitors, especially brick-and-mortar competitors, um, to some extent probably online competitors too, but, uh, but also suppliers because uh, the fear out there – and this was a fear of Walmart domination that is kind of being seamlessly transferred to fear of Amazon domination – is that uh, if uh, you are a producer of something consumers like uh, but 
uh, so much of their access to you gets funneled through this one particular thing, then you can be squeezed. You can um, be told, uh, no, we're, uh, your wholesale price has just been cut by 30 percent and we can enforce that because uh, you can't possibly not distribute through us um, without giving up 80 70, 90, whatever percent it is, it is of, of your business. And uh, so Amazon, in the, um, the, the, the fear at least, uh, Amazon will identify chances to squeeze its suppliers the same way that Walmart was so famous for squeezing its suppliers. Um, and consumers may benefit for the indefinite future. Um, uh, you know, the, the um, argument inevitably would be, well, Amazon at some point will get so powerful that it will then triple its prices and squeeze consumers. But uh, for the time being, it is mostly the suppliers and the brick-and-mortar competitors uh, who can see their profits shrinking um, uh, when Amazon conquers uh, uh, it, the various things that it's uh, doing well in. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and creator of Overlawyer.com. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 